Hello and welcome to Business and Stuff, the podcast where we talk about business and other things as well, like lifestyle, travel, food, and of course, more business. Today, we've got a, a fantastic guest and uh, I'll pass over to her to introduce herself. Welcome, Terry, to Business and Stuff. Well, Pierre, thanks for having me. I'm Terry McDougall and I am an executive and career coach, author of a book called Winning the Game of Work, Career, Happiness, and Success on Your Own Terms. Brilliant. So when you say um, sort of executive coach, what does that, to, to our listeners who perhaps aren't familiar with, with that term, what does that mean? What do, you, what do you sort of do? What do you help people with? Well, you know, I, I actually say that I work with people who are high achievers, but they're successful, but not satisfied. So what that may mean is that they're not getting the results that they expect, given the amount of work and energy that they're putting in at work. Naturally, a lot of times that can be very frustrating, but when I work with people, I help them to identify maybe things that they could do differently, get a better picture of what's going on so that they understand how to navigate in that environment, perhaps identify skills that need to be developed so that they can show up differently and therefore get different results in what's going on at work. And, and so if you were to give three tips to uh, executives or to sort of budding entrepreneurs in terms of how to perhaps get more out of their day, um, what would those tips be? And is it a lot around routine or is there other things that can help you be successful within your everyday? Well, it really depends on what the situation is. And the first thing that I ask people to do is, is kind of step back and think about how they would like things to be in their situation. So get clarity on what is that goal? Because a lot of times when people come to me, all they know is they're not feeling right, right? They feel stressed. They have, you know, a bad feeling that maybe their boss is not happy with them or something like that. And so we really try to get clarity on, okay, what's going on and what would you like this situation to look like? And then that leads us to be able to see, okay, well, if we're here and we want to get to that goal, what are the things that we need to do to get there? And I'll work with them on developing a roadmap. And all of these things that I'm saying, people can do for themselves. It's just sometimes hard, hard to be able to do that. But um, and then once they have sort of the roadmap of things that need to be done, and then it's like, well, how am I going to do this? And there's a number of ways. It could be that, okay, maybe you're doing too much work. And if you're the boss, you really need to delegate more so that you can spend more time on the higher level activities that only you can do. Um, it could be that, you know, you're avoiding having difficult conversations because you're not quite sure how to address that. And in that case, you might be realizing like, oh, I really would like to get more productivity out of this person on my team, but, you know, I need to give them some tough feedback so that they understand what's expected of them. But maybe we're avoiding it because we're afraid that they're gonna get upset or they're gonna quit or whatever. You know, there are tools, you know, I teach these tools, but I also refer people to um, resources. Like for example, in that case, there's a, a book called Crucial Conversations um, that I've referred many of my clients to, to, you know, to read and understand, okay, how do I address this 
uncomfortable situation that I really, where I really need to have this conversation, but I'm not sure how to approach it. And I mean, in terms of um, the executives, what do you tend to find is the most common problem that tends to you know, sort of hold them back? I mean, is it things like relationships? Is it stress? Is it being overworked? I guess that's relating to stress. Is it time management? I mean, what do you find is the most common problem that tends to hold people back? Well, you know, all of those ones that you mentioned are very common. You know, I, but I would say sort of, if I had to like look at the umbrella of, of what maybe goes over all of those, it's lack of perspective. Um, so a lot of times as people rise in an organization or as they take on more responsibility, they don't really reposition themselves within that environment. Like I've seen many people that have gotten promoted and they sort of continue to do their old job while they're also trying to operate at this higher level. And naturally that becomes very stressful as they're, um, you know, they haven't mentally promoted themselves and started recognizing like, oh, I have more resources to use at this level. And so therefore my, my responsibilities and role are going to need to evolve. For example, you know, they may need to delegate more, but a lot of times as people rise, they'll tell themselves things like, well, I can just do this faster. So I'm just going to keep this part of you know, my old job rather than delegate it because they'll say, oh, well, you know, it's going to take too long to teach that person. But these are the things that become part of the new job. It's you're going to spend more time communicating the vision. You're going to spend more time observing your staff and determining who needs uh, development, who needs training. Um, you're going to spend more time determining whether you have the right people in the right roles. Nobody ever tells anybody that, <laughs> you know, and so, uh, you know, I've, I've seen people that, you know, hooray, I got promoted. And now I went from working 50 hours a week to working 70 hours a week. And, you know, who can get excited about a quote unquote promotion like that. But, you know, generally, it's because they haven't been taught to look for the leverage points, where they can have more impact with less of that brute strength, you know, work, Definitely, yeah. And and do you find that you you work with people who are perhaps you know very successful, um, and they get promotions and so forth, but they get to a stage in their life where they feel that you know this isn't them, this isn't what they want to do, and they have that crossroads dilemma of you know do they keep going, do they um, advance up the ladder so to speak, um, and get promoted again and again, and sort of work hard and and live this type of lifestyle or do you feel that they sometimes get to a point where they want to have a change of direction or move career path, perhaps maybe into a different sector? Do, do you feel that there, there's a stage in, in most um, executives' life or in, in their mind where, you know, they, they do have sort of cross-path moments where they really have to, to think? Um, is that a sort of common problem that you tend to find? Yeah, I, I see that quite a lot. And I think that's really natural because you know, especially people that are in leadership roles, they tend to have kind of a growth and challenge mindset, like they're looking for what's my next challenge. And when they master something, you know, maybe it's not as interesting anymore. And so they start to wonder, like, what's next? And so, yeah, that's, that's quite often. 
um, I will work with people on that. And sometimes maybe there's not an obvious or natural next step within their organization. And so that can leave people in a little bit of a, you know, confu maybe confusing is not the right word, but a, just a place where they're like, I'm not sure what direction to go in next. Pretty common. I think a lot of people, a lot of very successful people, they'll work their way up the ladder uh, in life and they'll get to a point where, you know, that there isn't perhaps or it doesn't seem like there's a lot more that they can achieve within within that role. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, they, they really think about what, what is next, what what's the next challenge. And I think a challenge is, is a huge uh, motivator for a lot of people. Um, and like you say, some people will change um, company, perhaps if they feel that, you know, that there isn't enough there left for them. Um, and it's, um, it's, it can be a, a huge change. Um, and it's great that you, you know, you help people sort of overcome that. Talking now more about the pandemic, and I know you're uh, there in the States and, and I'm here in the UK, and things perhaps are, are slightly different in the way that the pandemic's um, hit. Remote working, which I think has always been on the, you know, on the radar of, of uh, the states. I think you, you've always been in front of the, the curve, so to speak, in terms of, uh, you know, things like remote working, giving people flexibility, thinking um, about executives, thinking about um, mental health and, and mindfulness. But how has the pandemic affected the way that a lot of people are working, a lot of companies are working with their employees? And, and what problems have those potentially sort of brought about? Well, first of all, that's a great question. Um, secondly, I would also say that while many companies in the United States have embraced remote working, many had very you know, conservative views on that and really wanted everybody in the office. Um, and it, it'll be very interesting to see what the new normal looks like if, if some of those companies that, you know, previously did not embrace this will realize that, it, you know, their employees actually can still deliver a lot of value without coming into the office. But um, some of the issues that I've seen, um, you know, I, actually, it's interesting because I did a survey among marketing people in December and January about you know, how the pandemic had impacted their career satisfaction. And about 44% of uh, the people surveyed said that it had not had any impact, positive or negative. It was just, you know, pretty much the same. Um, but equal amounts said that it had either negatively or positively impacted their job satisfaction. And I found that really, really interesting. So 27% said it was worse and 27% said it was better. So the people that said it was better, you know, the the comments really were around mostly flexibility, you know, the fact that they maybe cut two or three hours of commuting time off of their, their day, or they could walk their dog during the day, or they could choose how they structured their work. Like maybe they might take the afternoon off, but then come back and work more in the evening, that kind of thing. The people that were less satisfied I would say in general felt that it was hard to draw boundaries between work and home. And I've seen that with a lot of my clients as well, that, you know, sometimes people almost feel like, you know, they feel guilty when they're working from home, even though during the pandemic, there was no choice for many people. You know, I, I remember talking to one of my clients and she said, well, I, I just feel like 
you know, if I'm at home, I have to prove that I'm doing work. And so therefore I'll work later or, you know, she had her office, quote unquote, office set up on her dining room table. And she said, well, every time I walk by my computer, even if it's 10 o'clock at night or on the weekends, I feel like I need to stop and check my email and see if anything's happening. And, you know, the reality is that when people were in the office, there was a physical boundary between um, work and home, right? Like that mm. you just closed your laptop and you left it at work and you went home at five or six o'clock in the evening. And, you know, when you came back the next morning, you'd see what, what came in, <laughs> right? Mm. But because people are at home, they're doing that at all hours. And, and a lot of times to kind of quell their anxiety about like, oh, does the boss know I'm working because he or she can't walk by my office and see me in there doing this. Yeah, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I guess it, it, flexibility is great, but there's there's almost two schools of thought on it. You know, there's the flexibility of being able to work at home, which a lot of people, you know, like, um, but they have to be able to shut their laptop or their computer at the end of the, the day and be able to shut off and, and not have it invade their personal life. And, and then there's people who are completely on the opposite side and don't like, you know, being able to work from home and, and like you say you know they find often that they overwork because they feel this this guilt of um you know needing to be seen to be productive um and also not being able to detach from work at the end of the day because really their work is now at home so it mm -hmm. very much invades on on their personal life um and it's interesting actually as, as an entrepreneur you know uh, i uh, from time to time well quite a lot of the time actually work from home and um, at the very beginning when I started my journey it, that was difficult for me um, and you have to learn to be able to switch off and almost to have a separate room where you can shut the door very much like you know shutting the door at work and you just leave it there um, and another thing I found very um, useful is everything that was stressing me out everything that I had on my mind for the next day is to to use my calendar to schedule it in or to make notes so I can just leave the room shut the door and feel completely okay that I'm going to pick up with everything the next day and that for me was was really important is there any tactics or tools or perhaps methods that you would suggest to people executives and, and people working maybe even entrepreneurs who have that same problem they can't they struggle to switch off they they have a, a sort of a guilt of needing to overwork how, how do you what sort of tips or tools or methods could you suggest for them to be able to find a better divide between working and personal life well, I mean, if you really want to permanently change the behavior, it's important to look inside and say, what is the belief that's driving me to do this? Because like I mentioned, you know, many of us who, you know, started our careers before the, you know, technology was such a big part of it, you know, you really could only work from work, right? There wasn't there weren't cell phones, there weren't, my first job, I didn't even have a computer. <laughs> so um, I did get one after a few months, but um, you know, you, you had to work from work. Now you can work from anywhere. And so, you know, sometimes we may, might have a deep seated belief that, you know, 
I'm only worthy if I'm constantly performing. That might be it. It might be, you know, if my boss doesn't see me, he or she will think I'm, you know, playing hooky and not not doing my work. Maybe they think I'm watching soap operas during the day instead of doing my, my work. Um, and it's it's important to get at the root of what that belief is and address it. Try to replace that with another belief. And I mean, I think one of the other things that you can do is if you have questions about, does my boss think I'm doing a good job? Because sometimes we'll tell ourselves like, oh, my boss doesn't like me or my boss doesn't think I'm doing a good job. And so that drives this anxiety and maybe overwork. And it might be important to go to the boss and say, what do you think about the impact that I'm having? You know, where could I do better? And mm. use that as your guide for how much work you should do or you, you need to do. And, you know, I say that I, I want to like deliver that message with a grain of salt because it depends on your boss. If you've got one of those bosses who believes that you should be working 24 seven and then you may need to put a boundary in place in terms of what you believe a fair day's work is and stick to it you know because otherwise if we if we like put our worthiness as a worker in somebody else's hands and and we're always looking to them to say oh my gosh am i doing a good enough job there's a lot of unscrupulous people out there who will use that to manipulate you to work your tail off until you're in hospital <laughs> you know yeah. and you've got to save yourself you know you've got to really understand what do I need in order to continue to perform? And most people need rest. They need time off to have fun, to recharge and rest. Um, we need to separate ourselves from work sometimes just to enjoy life. And then we'll come back to work and we'll be, we'll have the energy we need to perform. Definitely, yeah, and that, that kind of leads me to um, a point that, that I've noted down to, to ask about. Um, there's um, an entrepreneur, I believe it's um, Richard Branson, actually, um, the, uh, the CEO of, of Virgin mm -hmm. Group, mm -hmm. and I believe, I think it's him, that uh, wants to promote the concept of a four-day week, a four-day business week. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that's a good way forward? I mean, you know, in terms of giving people rest and making sure that there's a, a work-life balance, does that sound like a, a good idea? Um, or do you think that that's not, uh, bosses don't have to give a, a, an extra day and that there's other ways to, to make sure that people are happy um, and also, you know, sort of efficient at, at their job? Well, I think that that would be great. I mean, you know, there's there was nothing that was handed down from on high that, you know, a 40 hour work week and, you know, Monday through Friday is what it should be. You know, I mean, that that's something that has evolved over time. Um, you know, there were, were times when, you know, some people worked seven days a week or they worked every day except for Sunday. And, you know, of course, we know that there used to be no child labor laws, you know, so <laughs> we can decide as a society what's normal in terms of work. And I really do think that we're starting to shift towards you know, what impact are you having, right? And what's the value of that impact? You know, it, we're both entrepreneurs and, you know, we can decide how much 
you know, how much time we put into what we do. And we can look and say, okay, well, if I can work 20 hours a week and I can make enough money during that time to, you know, have the income that I need, and then who's to say that I should work more than that, you know? Um, and, and I do wonder about whether business will get to the point where they are enlightened enough to say, you know, if this person's having that impact, why should I care how many hours it takes for them to do that? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. I mean, I I employ quite, quite a few um, people here in the UK, in our UK office, and, and uh, in Dublin as well, in, in our Irish uh, setup. Um, and and I I tend to find that I have to sort of adapt my management style to individuals because I've I've realised that there's no set way of of working with people. You know, you get some people who mm-hmm. perhaps you have to push and be a bit tough with um, in terms of wanting results from them Um, but then there's people that work better without pressure and and do need um, to be able to work on on sort of their own terms Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah it's interesting there's there's definitely um, you know there's definitely no fits all type solution really when it comes um, to managing people so that's um yeah that, that's that's a very sort of interesting point and um a, a different one as well um when it comes to attire so dress you know what what people wear to work obviously it's slightly different now with people working from home but are you of the opinion that the sort of the dot-com casual where you can come in sort of wearing anything that's you know relatively smart or do you feel that you really should dress for um you know dress for the job that you want dress smart dress corporate because then you can be a high performer what what school of thought are you sort of more uh, swayed towards well I, I really think that it depends on the industry that you're in I spent 21 years in banking <laughs> so you can imagine that you know pinstripes were the attire of the day yeah. and it, it did evolve over the time that I I uh, worked in it I, I can remember in my first banking job one of my female colleagues coming and saying, you know, we had to ask the manager if it was okay if we if we could start wearing pantsuits instead of suits with skirts. <laughs> you know, it just it's kind of funny, right? Um, but that was that was how it was, I guess, in the mid '90s in this sort of conservative bank that I I worked at. Um, I I saw, you know, even within banking, I saw at least in marketing where I worked. I saw the dress codes evolve and I don't really know that it had a big impact on productivity or anything like that. Um, I I imagine that for the investment bankers, whenever they're going in to meet with a CEO, they're probably still wearing their bespoke pinstriped suits and, you know, monogrammed shirts and all of that kind of stuff because of what it symbolizes. You know, if you're going in and you want to do a multi-million or billion dollar deal with somebody, you want to look your best. Mm. Um, But I also know that if you were to walk into a Silicon Valley organization in a pinstripe suit, you'd probably be laughed out of the lobby. Um, So I think you really have to adapt it to what the culture of the organization is. 
Definitely, yeah. No, I, I've actually found that going into meetings. Um, you know, we, um, well, here um, in, in my organisation, you know, I'd like to try and make everybody be be smart because I, I think it has an effect on people's minds. That's, that's my way of thinking. Um, but certainly when I've gone to meetings, I've always tried to look as sharp as possible, tie, um, pocket square, everything like that. Um, but then I've, I've actually... Um, two summers ago I walked into a client and they were sort of a tech company very sort of cool uh, fresh kind of tech company where everybody's sort of casual I walked in um, you know feeling oh I'm going to be really sharp going to look really good and I'm going to make a great impression I walked in and I felt uh, I, I felt like um, a sore thumb you know sort of sticking out um, I just felt really uncomfortable because I was I was really 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 too smart and uh, I just felt a bit of an idiot um, and so so yeah it's, it's it's strange I think again you have to adapt don't you for the environment and, and the company itself and uh, yeah things are, are really really changing in that in that respect and uh, it's interesting how it's kind of you know two two uh, schools of thought on it um, yeah, yeah you know if you don't mind me just adding something here I, I do agree with you though that you know, I, I think there's got to be sort of a minimum standard, right? Like you certainly don't want people, um, you know, coming into the office or at least, you know, when I think about my former corporate um, world, I certainly wouldn't want people coming in in pajama pants and sweatpants and yeah. that kind of stuff. <laughs> and even um, recently, I'd say over the last few months, um, I've been, you know, even though I work from home and I'm on Zoom and that kind of stuff, yeah. I'm getting up and dressing in a way that I feel comfortable going in and meeting somebody in the office. And, and I, one of the things I find is I just, I feel better about myself to get up and, and dress nicely, even if I'm just sitting in a chair on Zoom all day. Mm. Um, and maybe it's part, maybe it's a little bit of the backlash against, you know, the, the months where I had sweatpants on the bottom and a nice top on the, on the top. <laughs> <laughs> it, I guess it's, it's that divide, isn't it? I think by kind of dressing the part, it makes you feel more in work mode because I guess if you just wake up, roll out of bed and just literally get straight in front of a computer, which you know some people do and they feel very mm -hmm. relaxed and, and it can help them, certainly if they're kind of in the creative um, industries. But, um, you know, I think it can have a negative effect on people. And I, I would... I mean, I certainly suggest to all my team to kind of, you know, to feel sharp in the morning and not actually sort of address the fact of, of them, you know, being in business attire at home. Obviously, it's, it's up to them. But, um, you know, I, I would always kind of um, suggest that that's the best way, you know, to kind of have the divide, you know, just to that action mm -hmm. of, of having a shower, uh, getting dressed, feeling good, sitting in front of your computer. It makes it so much harder then to think oh you know what I'll go and I'll go and watch uh, the TV I'll go and watch some Jerry Springer you know um, so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah I, I think it you know because you would feel more guilty wouldn't you to go into the lounge and, and sit down and, and, and watch something when you're dressed you know smart and so I definitely think it has an effect and, and you know if you're on zoom video calls and stuff again it's um, you know it's uh, going to be important to, to, to dress sharp um, brilliant so we've got um, a, a few a few moments um, left of our, of our time slot um, and uh, so I want to kind of bring um, the conversation around to a really important one and I saw that Joe President Joe Biden your, your new president there um, recently brought up some statistics around um, female pay and sort of female equality um, and mm -hmm. I just wanted to 
get your your sort of opinions and and to see you know how how you kind of see it within the industry have you have you seen a lot of um uh inequality in, in the sense of do you see a lot of um successful female executives that aren't getting um paid as much as men and and what would your suggestions be to them and, and what do you think is the answer to to moving towards um uh, you know a world or uh, certainly in terms of the us and the uk uh, a world where people are being paid on, on, on the basis of what they're doing rather than their, mm -hmm. their, their sex, their, um, you know, their race, or any other things that are perhaps discriminatory? Yeah, that, that is a big question. That's an excellent question. And, you know, I think the answer is um, multifaceted. And I think that probably at the root of all of this is the, you know, the push towards more diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, I worked in financial services for 21 years, and it's heavily male-dominated. And mm -hmm. the marketing teams that I led were typically female-dominated. And I noticed that there were often misunderstandings in the way that women and men communicate. And I also think that, you know, and I think that this is probably based on gender, but on other, you know, points of difference as well, is that when you're a minority in a situation, sometimes you may be cautious in the way that you show up because you're looking for those cues. Okay, am I doing this the right way? And I know for a fact that often within the banking world, that that was perceived by the people in power as somebody not being ready for advancement or not being certain about their, um, you know, efficacy in a role. And that wasn't the case at all. It really was more, um, you know, people looking for assurance that they were on the right path. And I think that, you know, when you've got in the banking world here, you know, it was, it was white men, right? It was like, I'd go into many meetings and the vast majority of the people in the room would be white men of a certain age. And it, if you don't communicate in a way that, that, you know, conveys to them like, oh, you're very confident, they're not gonna have the confidence in you. And so I think that that's part of the issue is, you know, having the mentoring and coaching for women so that they understand how they need to show up and, and communicate appropriately so there is that confidence. But I also think that in the leadership roles, they need to understand that, you know, just because somebody communicates differently does not mean that they're not just as smart and just as capable. I think that a lot of times there's like sort of a um, singular way of believing what leadership looks like. And, you know, I think that the blinders need to be peeled back a bit of people in power to recognize that, you know, there can still be talent there, but just because they don't talk just like you do does not mean that there's not confidence or talent there. Um, so I think that's part of it. But I also think that, you know, as we see more diversity and leadership, that there's going to be more understanding of the different styles of people. Yeah, it's um it's a multifaceted problem. Um and you know, I know as a as a leader, 
I, um, I would often coach people on my team to communicate differently with with the people in the business that they needed to influence. Because just as an example, sometimes, um, you know, they, they'd want to explain way too much, which in many ways would just undermine that person's confidence in the person on my team. And I would just tell them like, be more direct, right? Like lead with what you're looking for. You know, don't go into a lot of explanation about it because I, and I'm actually thinking specifically about investment bankers, which that, that was my, my first role in the last company um, that I worked for was leading marketing for the investment bank. And, you know, these are very driven, very, you know, uh, decisive people. And for somebody to come in and be like, well, I'm not sure about this. And I need your opinion on X, Y, and Z. Generally, they didn't have a lot of patience for that. You know, and so I would just tell my staff, like, go in and say, this is what I recommend, period, right? And, and I think that they would get more respect when they were more decisive because they were matching the style of the people that, um, that they were working with. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, put it solely on the, the shoulders of the people that, uh, you know, aren't getting paid what they should be getting paid. But I do think that that's, that's part of it, that we, you know, if we're not getting paid what we uh, expect or what we believe we're worth, we can start with ourselves and say, what can I do differently so that, you know, I bridge that gap if there's any question about, you know, my, my abilities here. But I certainly, I think that, you know, leadership bears the bulk of the responsibility to make the workplace more um, diverse and equity or, or uh, equitable and inclusive. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, I think time, you know, is, you know, is, is the greatest thing in the sense of, uh, you know, making change. Um, so I think, you know, time will definitely get us to where we need to be and, and all the people that are standing, you know, for, for equality, which is, uh, which is a, a great purpose, certainly. Um, but yeah, I think that's a great message, you know, to, you know, if you want something, if you want to pay rise, if you want to get somewhere, be, be confident and uh, be direct and, and, you know, you don't get if you don't ask sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so true. Definitely. That's a great, um, great message to, to end on. And um, yeah, thank you so much um, for your time today, Terry. I really appreciate it. Um, for everybody listening, as we draw to a close, um, what is, um, what's the best platform for the you know, people who are feeling some of these problems, these challenges that want to work with yourself? Where can they reach out to you? What social media um, platforms are on and what's your website? Well, my website is terrybmcdougall.com and people can contact me through uh, that. I'm also very active on LinkedIn and my handle on LinkedIn is Terry B. McDougall. And if people want to check out my book before they check out me, it is available on, on Amazon. And again, the name of the book is Winning the Game of Work, Career, Happiness and Success on Your Own Terms. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time, Terry. It's been lovely speaking to you and we'll keep in touch, I'm sure. Um, And if anybody wants to reach out to Terry, you can do so and definitely check out her book. It's great. I also have a book out as well called Think It, Pitch It, Sell It as well. Uh, Another one to check out. So uh, two reading material for you to to get. But um, thank you so much for your time, Terry. And um, and we'll talk very soon. Thank you very much for being on uh, Business and Stuff today. And yeah, thank you very much. 
Thanks, Pierre. I really enjoyed speaking with you.